All right, let's uh, look in our Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to preach to you this morning about effective Christianity. If you're going to be a Christian, you may as well be a good one. Yeah. Amen. Amen. If you're going to serve the Lord, you may as well get some results out of serving the Lord. And that's what I'm talking about this morning, effective Christianity. Let me start reading in verse 1, and we'll read down to about verse number 5. This is a great passage of Scripture. Every Christian ought to be familiar with it. You ought to be familiar with the whole Bible, but uh, we're talking about building disciples. Then we want to, uh, some basic things we want to learn. This is one of those basic things that every Christian should be familiar with. Uh, when you get saved, the first thing you want to do is start being a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. You might be a Hebrew or a Gentile. You might be a Mexican or an American, but when you get saved, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. Above all other things, you're a Christian, and we want to be good Christians. We want to be good Christians. So this is a verse we ought to all get familiar with, and this will give us a pattern on how to serve the Lord. Let me go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'll read the Scripture. Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity to preach this morning unworthy. And Lord, I know that there's a commandment that I ought to walk worthy. I come short many times, and I pray, oh God, that you'd make up my lack this morning. I pray you'd forgive me my sins. pray that you'd help me to preach. I pray, oh God, that you would give me discernment about what to say and when to say it and how to say it and help me to say it well. And then, Lord, to be quiet and let you do your work. And, Lord, I thank you, God, for every work that you do in every heart. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. Amen. All right, chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. There's a reason for that. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. A Christian's faith ought to stand in the power of God. Amen? And if a Christian's faith stands in the power of God, then that Christian will be able to do what God requires of him. And he'll be able to do it effectively. So this morning, I'm going to talk about effective Christianity, getting the job done. And getting it done right. Amen. That's what we want. We want it done right. If we get the job done right as Christians, then converts will make it to where they're supposed to be in the Lord. They'll, they'll fulfill their purpose in the Lord. Amen. So let me say, first of all, there's a definition for effective Christianity. And really what I want to give you the definition of is the word effective and we can say effective Christianity, and you might think, well, got a lot of people following you. Or you, we might say effective Christianity and might say, well, you got the power to heal or whatever the case might be. But we want to really know what the word effective means. And the word effective means to be efficient. The Bible says that the word of God, the, the truth of God, the things of God are easy to be uh, entreated. It's efficient. God set up an efficient Christianity. Now, the only thing we've been commanded to do, or the, the, one of the greatest things we've been commanded to do, is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's not hard. Yeah. Unless you're living to the flesh and, and uh, fulfilling all the desires of the flesh, then it's going to be hard for you to get anything done. Because the Bible says the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. The two are contrary one to the other. So if you're doing all the things that please yourself and please the flesh and fulfill all your desires, it's going to be very hard for you to serve the Lord. It's going to be very hard for you to serve the Lord. Now, it may be that you are your Lord, and that's something you'll have to work out with the Lord himself. But for those of us who are not trying to serve ourselves and not trying to make gods out of ourselves... And not trying to please ourselves, but trying to please the Lord, then we want to know how to be effective in our Christianity. When I witness to somebody, I want them to go home thinking. Yeah. 
When I tell somebody what Jesus done for them, I want them to maybe miss a few hours of sleep at night. Now, I mean, my ultimate goal is that they get saved, see? If you say, I want them to miss a couple hours of sleep, how mean. He's sitting around crafting a way he can keep people up at night. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, if you'll remember back to when you got under conviction, you spent a few hours less sleeping and more time thinking about you and your condition with God. Now, what I'm simply saying is when I tell you about the Lord, I don't want you to yawn about it, go somewhere and eat a taco, and then sleep soundly all night, not worried about a thing I said. Because ultimately what I said to you ought to be what God said to me and what God said to all the world when he gave us the Bible. And if I'll use the Bible correctly, then that word of God will get in your heart. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Until you get on the same page with the word of God, there's going to be a conflict in your soul. And so therefore, by just by reason of the matter, just by the logic of the matter, if you get under conviction from God, you're going to miss some, you're going to get out of your comfort zone. You might miss an hour or two of sleep. You may lose your appetite. You, you go about life and you set your own schedule and you get in your comfort zone. And once God begins to speak to your heart, you might get out of your comfort zone. You might not feel like eating. You might not feel like sleeping. And I'll tell you this, if you're, if you're witnessing for the Lord, if you're doing what God told you to do, then the people you're talking to, if you're doing it effectively, then folks are getting stirred up inside. Folks are getting out of their comfort zone. And that's, that's a good thing. You remember how it was for you, and you remember where God's brought you from since then. And so in this day and time, we, I think we need a sermon like this on a reminder about how to do it effectively. In other words, God's already gave us a program. We only need to follow it. We don't, I said that God's given us an easy program and that serving the Lord is relatively easy. See, we don't have to go out and invent a new way to do it every month. We don't have to craft a special service for every Sunday of the month. And we don't have to, we don't have to find uh, mold it. We don't have to get out our chisels and our knives and whittle it down to a fine poison. God already told us how to do it. He said it's so simple to do, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, that he didn't call the wise to do it. He called the, he called the unwise, and he didn't call the noble to do it. He said not many noble, not many wise. You don't have to be a great wise man to be an effective Christian. Ain't you glad of that? You don't have to have a Ph.D. You don't have to have, be a graduate of MIT in order to be uh, an effective Christian. God's give us the, the protocol. God's give us the what we call it in the military an SOP. That's a standard operating procedure. And when you don't know how to do a thing, you don't go ask the the gunnery sergeant or, or the staff sergeant or the captain or the lieutenant. You don't have to bother them with that. You just go into the main office and get the SOP and look it up. That's the way it's supposed to be done. Then you can't get in trouble that way. If the gunnery sergeant comes to you and says, you're not doing that the way I want you to do it, you say, but I'm doing it according to the SOP. You going to write me up for that? Rank notwithstanding. See, in the Christian world, you get the big wigs, and if you don't do it like the big wigs do it, you might get be an outcast. But as long as you're doing it by the standard operating procedure, they can't write you up to the Lord. They can't get the Lord against you on that. So let's just do it right, amen. Let's do it the way God wants it to be done, and it'll be effective. That's a guarantee. But there is a definition for effective Christianity, and it's efficient. It's real easy to be done. It's not, it's not wasteful. Not a word spoken for the Lord will be wasteful. Amen. If it's true and, and spoken for the Lord and being led by the Spirit, it'll be efficient. It won't be wasted. It's effective. It's serviceable. Serviceable means it's usable. Amen. Effective Christianity is not useless stuff. Uh, when we have dinner on the grounds on Sunday, that, you might could weasel that thing around to be some kind of a fellowship, but really that's not effective Christianity. We don't come to church to eat. Amen. Well, I like going to that church because they got good programs. That's not Christianity. Amen. Uh, youth choirs and, and, and after school programs and 
Saturday night get-togethers for pizza and bonfires. That's not Christianity. That may be Christians getting together and having fun, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not Christianity. Christianity is following Christ. I don't remember too many bonfires and pizzas. Uh, you know, when the Lord needed the pizza, he'd just break the bread and pass it out. Put your own tomato sauce on it. That's right. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. But that's what he did. The Lord fed people when it was necessary to feed them, when they was hungry and tired. But that's not Christianity. It's about Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day for your justification. The object of Christianity is to get people saved into the kingdom of God. Amen? Saved, born again, and into the kingdom of God. And that is the same way that you were brought into the kingdom of God. Somebody witnessed to you, how shall they hear without a preacher? This is the generation, this is the socialist generation of get rid of all the preachers. If we can get rid of all the preachers, if we can make the preachers not so important, we can get into the hearts and minds of the people, we can steal those sheep away. That's what that's all about. But the Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? And he's not even talking about the pastor. He's talking about somebody, the preacher. Who is the preacher? It's a man, woman boy or girl that's willing to go into the highways and hedges and tell the people not at the Baptist church but tell the people at the 7-Eleven and the, the craft manufacturing facility and the local garage and the local library that Jesus Christ died for their sins, was buried and rose again. That's the, that's the gospel preacher right there. How, the, how shall they hear without a preacher? That's what it's talking about. Talking about men, women, boys and girls who are trying to be Christians. The Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. That's Acts chapter 11. It wasn't a bunch of people that was meeting in, in a local assembly, although they did that, and it was very necessary. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning, but they were called Christians because they were walking the streets, and they were, uh, they were talking to people about the Lord, and they were dealing with individuals, and they were going house to house and saying, Have you heard what Jesus done for you? Have you heard what Jesus done for you? Now, they weren't very practiced on the road to Emmaus, but they'd done a pretty good job talking to Jesus about Jesus. Hadn't you? Now, I understand it wasn't a formal witness or anything like that, but they said, hadn't you heard what's been going on here lately? They weren't even sure that he had rose from the dead. They had no clue about what was going on really, but they said, hey, there was a fellow here. We thought he was the one. They were basically doing all they knew how to do, but they were doing it. Amen. Good thing they was talking to the Lord, and, and he pepped them up a little bit, and he opened their eyes a little bit. But as it went on, they were able to say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, salvation, such as I have, the new birth, such as I have, the indwelling spirit, such as I have, the ability to make a change in your life, that's what I'm going to give you. And Acts chapter 3 is a good chapter for that kind of thing. And that's what Christians need to be doing. Whatever I've got. Whatever the Lord's done for me, and we'll get back to this, but whatever the Lord's done for me, I've got that for you. And so it's serviceable. It'll get the job done. That's what that word means. And again, a military, uh, a military example. When we had, uh, they had this stuff called 782 gear. That includes your, your, your harness and your uh, canteens and all this different kind of stuff. But when you turned it back in, they would look at it, and sometimes you had wore it out in the field. That's no problem. But they can't reissue it because it's wore out. They write unserviceable. Put a little, on a little tag and put that tag on it, throw it in a pile, and that pile gets sent to some garage or some warehouse to sit for two or three years, and then it gets sent out and sold, and then it ends up in your local surplus stores. But it's unserviceable. It's not useful anymore. But Christianity is serviceable. The world looks at Christianity like it's unserviceable, like it still won't work. Even some Christians look at Christianity like it just won't work anymore. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. People decide, well, you know, there's no use in telling people about the Lord anymore. I mean, look at all these people. They got hula hoops in their ears and they got green hair and their pants are falling down to their knees. Those people need the Lord. Well, there's no use in us, you know, standing up for what's right because people don't want, listen, people have never wanted to stand up for what's right. Yeah. It don't matter if it was the, the 2000s or the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or the 50s or the 20s 
or the 1700s, people was mainly interested in doing what they wanted to do. And then somebody come along and said, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all unrighteousness. And it got something stirred down inside of men's hearts. Wicked men, sinful men, ungodly men, people that was enemies of God. That's what God come to die for. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners, for his enemies. Amen. That's exactly who the gospel works on. The gospel, the only thing the gospel don't work on is Baptists and Pentecostals and Catholics. That's who the gospel don't work on. The gospel works on sinners. Amen. It makes sinners into Christians. I don't know about Baptists, but Christianity works for Christians. Amen. You get a, a, a little bit of taste of the leadership of the Holy Spirit and you want more. You get a little taste of the Word of God, the King James Bible, and you want a little more. You get a little taste of that old time music and you want a little more. I mean, I'm talking about the music that glorifies God and you want a little more. And you get in, you get your whole heart to it and your whole life to it. And when you mess up and get in the flesh, you say, God, forgive me for that. Help me get back on track. And Lord gives you another dose and sends you on another mile. And it'd be effective. And I guarantee you take all that stuff combined, go down on the street corner somewhere and stop somebody and say, hey, I just wanted to tell you that Jesus died for your sins. And they say, oh, get that bunk out of my face. I don't want to hear about it. And I'll tell you what he does. He goes off and he thinks about that the rest of the day. He said they might not they might not trust Christ after that. They might not go ahead and serve the Lord. That's not your business. That's between them and the Lord. But say see I say effective Christianity. You say, Brother Mike's going to tell us how to win everybody we meet to Christ. No, sir. Effective Christianity will put souls into heaven. And effective Christianity also puts souls in hell. That it puts men faith effective Christianity. Puts man in a place where he decides what he will do with Jesus Christ. That's all it is. That's all it is. Some men get saved. Gloriously saved by the grace of God. Some men reject him and go to hell. Will God send men to hell? No, men send themselves to hell. You can't go to heaven and be a sinner. Would you be a rapist or a murderer or a child molester on earth? That's what you'd be in heaven if God let you go without a new birth. God not God say, but God is love. God loves everybody. Yeah, but God don't love rape in heaven. He don't intend to allow it. There's only one other place you could go. It's not that God don't love you and that He would send Him to hell. It's you don't love God and God will send you to hell. That's what it's about. Amen. Effective Christianity deals with that head on. Amen. The word effective means having the power to produce an effect, and that's what we want to do as Christians. Amen. Christianity is supposed to have the effect of influencing others to be saved and then to be like Christ and then to be godly and to be discipled. Amen. Discipline. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men. Let your light so shine before men. But it don't put a period there after men. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the effect, see? That they're going to see your good works. They're going to see your Christianity. They're going, to buy, they're going to be moved by that. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to be moved by that. And the end result is possibly that they glorify your Father which is in heaven. And if they won't glorify Him on this earth, if they won't believe on Him, the Lord's at least going to make them every knee bow. See, people say, well, they, I'm not going to believe and I'm not going to do this, but i tell you this. i tell you the gospel and you don't believe it. If you tell your neighbor in the gospel they don't believe it, one of these days they'll stand before the Lord and every knee is going to bow. They're going to bow. They're going to be believers. They should have been a believer here though. One of these days they'll be a believer. Every, every man that you've ever met and you've told them about the Lord and they've cursed you out and they went ahead and died and went into eternity, every one of those men are going to stand before God and get on their knees and declare that He is, the, he is Lord to the glory. He's not the Lord. To them He's the Lord. He's a Lord. He's just Lord. He's not their Lord. To them He's just Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And that's going to be a confirmation of the truth you told them. Amen. Effective Christianity. Don't let me get too far into that. I just wanted to point out in Matthew chapter 5 that the effect of Christianity will cause others to glorify their Father. So there's a definition for effective Christianity. And then there's a need 
for effect of Christianity. Did you know that? Effect of Christianity. I mean real Christians that are getting the job done. There's a need for it. There's a need for it. Number one, it first needs to have an effect on you. Amen. Look with me in Matthew chapter 7. I want to show you a couple of verses as I go through these little points here. But Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 5. Christianity ought to have, first of all, an effect on you. Look at verse 5. Matthew 7 verse 5. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. You say, what does effective Christianity do? It'll get the beam out of your eye. Matthew chapter 7 says, uh, first of all, you need to clean up you. Now, of course, we understand we're made clean by the Word of God. We don't really clean up ourselves. The Word of God cleans us up. We love Him because He first loved us. We get clean because we're washed in the blood. We understand those things, don't we? But Christianity ought to have an effect on you first. I've seen a lot of people get involved with church and then they start trying to clean up everybody else. They've never been cleaned up. Did you know a lot of people got joined the church when they was young and never have had a conversion? That was, a, that was a big problem in the Reformation. People were born, baptized as babies, and brought up in the church, and they just figured they were saved, or they figured they were saved because they'd been going to church, or they were saved because they were baptized. They'd never been converted. A lot of religions just teach just, well, you come to church, you believe what I believe, okay, let's, let us baptize you. You'll be a member of the church, and you'll be okay. You'll go to hell that way. You say, why? Because Christianity, effective Christianity requires a conversion. Let's look in Romans 12. Romans 12 talks about that conversion a little bit. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can have your mind renewed because your soul and your spirit's renewed. You've been born again. You know what scares me, Brother Nathan, is that when I talk to somebody about their salvation and they can't say I'm saved, or I might say I got saved when I was five years old, or I might say that, you know, uh, I got saved when I was younger and I, I trusted the Lord as my Savior and I'm saved and blessed and assurance and going through that whole spiel, you know, how we talk as Christians. And somebody says to me, well, I was baptized when I was 12. That red flags go up, the, the winds begin to blow, and, and I, I have problems with that statement because I didn't get saved when I got baptized. I got saved when a preacher preached and when a witnesser witnessed. I got saved when the Holy Spirit began to deal with my heart. I got saved when I realized I was a sinner and repented of my sin. I didn't say I changed my sin. I said I was sorry. I was a sinner. That's what I mean by repentance of sin. That's what the Bible means about repentance of sin. There's nothing I can do about being a sinner. Paul the Apostle way far into his ministry said, I'm the chief of sinners. What's this stuff about turning from your sins? Turning from your sins gets you in hell. Yeah. Turning from sins is not repentance. Being sorry you are a sinner. That's what repentance being all about. Amen. Right. Well, see, when the Holy Spirit began to deal with me and began to show me my sin, I was sorry about my sin. I humbled myself before the Lord. And in a sense, I said, what must I do to be saved? Just like it gives you the, the, the illustrations in the Bible. And somebody says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. I read that. I seen it. I heard them say it. I saw them pointed out on the page. I put my faith and trust in that. And Jesus Christ saved my soul. I've been saved ever since. You say, how come you've been saved ever since? Because he saved me. Amen. He don't do nothing halfway. He saved me. I messed up along the way, but I'm saved. And every time, every time I've ever thought about salvation, I've never once thought about my baptism. It never come up in my mind. Amen. When somebody says, have you ever been saved? I never once thought about, I've been to church. That doesn't come up in my mind. Because going to church didn't save me. Baptism didn't save me. Reading my Bible didn't save me. Didn't save me, amen. Didn't get saved because I read 10 chapters. Didn't get saved because I memorized a chapter. Didn't get saved because I turned over a new leaf in my life. 
Amen. See, that's what's the problem with Christianity. That's why Christianity is not effective. Men get saved by the Spirit of God and the truth of God and the sacrifice of God. Men get saved because of that. But then once they start living the Christian life, they start going by, how many chapters did I read? You ought to read a lot of chapters. But you begin to trust on that as your source of strength. You begin to trust in how many times did I go to church. You ought to be in church every time the doors are open. But if you're dependent on that to keep you right with God, you're soon going to quit. You didn't get you didn't get you don't get saved by doing those things. You don't stay saved by doing those things. Effective Christianity comes to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and obedience to his word. Amen. I'm talking about effective Christianity. You get saved and you stay saved. And when somebody says, hey, you ever been saved? Baptism don't leap to mind. Amen. Baptism's not effective Christianity. You say, well, that one time, yeah, that one day it was pretty effective. It gave you a testimony to the world that you were saved. But listen, that was then. Ask me about my salvation now. I'm not going to think. If I ask you today, Brother Nathan, if you've ever been saved, would baptism even flash in your mind? Why does it flash in the mind of other people? It can only be two things. They were just taught to say that, or that's what they're trusting to go to heaven. I know I'm saved because I went and got baptized. I ain't going to do it. Let me ask you this. Could Jesus Christ die in his sins and go to hell? Could he or couldn't he? Could Jesus Christ die in his sins and go to hell? The answer for anybody that reads the Bible is of course not. He wasn't a sinner. But he got baptized. Did Jesus Christ need to be saved? Did he need to be born again? That's an easy question, ain't it? But he got baptized. Did Jesus Christ go to heaven because he got baptized? Let me ask you this. Did Judas go to heaven because he got baptized? How about that thief on the cross that died right there at the same time of his conversion? Did he get baptized? Baptism won't take you to heaven. Baptism is not a means of salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord is a means of salvation. Amen? Amen. Some people bring up baptism because they've never been saved. Need to get saved. Amen? Amen. There's a need for effective Christianity. And first of all, Christianity will have an effect on you. Be ye transformed, he said, by the renewing of your mind. So, Brother Mike, I just think, nobody asks you what you thought. Nobody. I mean, when you're dealing with the Bible in the course of salvation and regeneration and the new birth and how to get things done for God after you are, nobody asks your opinion about anything. I don't mean to be rough, and I'm not trying to be in bravado, but nobody asks you, this is something that was set up by Christ. That's why it's called Christianity. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> Brother Tommy, it's not called millerology. Right. Easter is just a holiday. Amen? <laughs> it has nothing to do with me. Right. Amen? Some fellow said, well, there ain't no reason you got called to preach. Your name's Easter. I'm sure God didn't have it planned out like that. Just one of those things that happened, amen? Well, I'm just telling you, this isn't about you, amen? This is not Stavenderism or Druryism. This is Christianity. Doesn't matter what you think. You're a Johnny-come-lately. Every one of you suckers are Johnny-come-latelys, amen? God didn't ask your opinion about the way things ought to be done. You say, I don't like the way things are being done. That's because you don't like Christ, amen? I mean, at least in, in the case where things are being done like God said to do it. Well, I think if we had this great... No, God didn't ask you for your programs. He said for you to go do what He told you to do and it'd be effective. The problem is a lot of folks are looking for a different... uh, They're looking for a different result. You hear what I'm saying to you right there? Preachers? A lot of preachers do things differently because they're looking for a different result. They're looking for popularity. They're looking for a big bank account. They're looking for all these things. So they think that they think the only way they can do that is to put their own little spin on it. God give me a great personality. God's really gifted me to reach people. They put their own little spin on it, they end up building their own church split. Amen. They end up getting people bitter and they end up causing people to quit and get out of church because they're doing things their own way. And your own way is not effective when it comes to regenerating souls and edifying Christians. Your own way ain't gonna do nothing but 
it might help, it, it might make you enjoy it, and people who are like you might enjoy it, but all you're really going to do is cause division. Do it the way God said do it, amen? Amen. It needs to first have an effect on you. We read over there in Matthew chapter 5, it said, get the beam out of your own eye. Amen? And then it needs to have an effect on others. Let's look in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse number 42. Luke chapter 6 and verse number 42. Now, this is the same verse I read you uh, a while ago, but it's a little bit cast in a little bit different light here. Luke chapter 6, verse 42. Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye, thou hypocrite. Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Now this day and time when, when you try to pull out the mote out of somebody else's eye, they say, you can't judge me. That verse right there said you can judge that verse right there says your Christian life is supposed to help other people get the mote out of their eye. So what are you looking at my eyes for? Because God told me to after I get the beam out of mine. See, Christianity changes me first. Then my job is to be, if I'm an effective Christian, then I'll be making changes and other things. But there's something real profound in that verse right there. You know what a beam is? A beam is a supporting structure in a building or a ship. A ship has beams. That beam keeps that ship together. A building, unless it's a, a masonry building like this, but I wouldn't be surprised, and, and I know it's true, it's just a different kind of a beam. A beam holds up this building, even though it's just a plain cinder block building. Now all these buildings right here, all these blocks right here, you know, I could, if I was strong enough, I could kick one out with my leg. Or I could take a cinder block and I could bust it out. So how do you know that? I busted that hole right there. Right there, I busted that hole. But did you know there's a, there's a string of concrete blocks that go across the top of this building, and they're reinforced, and you couldn't bust that out? I don't care how big of a man you are. You'd have to beat on it for six months to get it beat out. Amen? It ain't coming out. It's a beam. It's, it bears weight. A beam is something big. It's something weighty. It's something strong. And you're supposed to get the beam out of your own eye. But you know what the net result of that is? You can only get little moats. You know what a moat is? Have you ever been sitting in your room and you notice a beam of light coming through the window and there's all these little particles floating like dust, I guess. And it's floating through there and you think your house is clean till the sunlight comes in. You see all that stuff? It's in the cleanest of houses, folks. Don't get worried. But those little particles, you know what those are? They're moats. That's what, that's what the word moat means. It's just a little bitty particle. It's like a fleck of dust. And you'd be surprised to know this, but that verse right there is telling you that you've got to do a whole lot of changing in your life. You've got to get beams out of your life before you can even get a little moat out of somebody else's. We get discouraged about that as preachers. We have to work and we have to slave and we have to crucify the flesh. You've got to do all these things to feel right with God. But after having done all that, it seems like the only thing you can make, the only changes you can make in other people's lives are little insignificant things. Now that's true. Whether you like it or not, that's the way the truth. You say, well, Brother Mike, why can't I get the beams out of their eyes? They've got to get the beams out. It's not your job to get the beams out. Everybody's got to get their own beams out. All you can do is make little changes, little changes. But guess what? Making those little changes in somebody else's lives will lead to the big changes that they're going to make in their own lives. And listen, that's effective Christianity. Well, I've been working in this church for 55 years, an old brother so-and-so, I can just barely get him to come. Well, he wasn't coming at all before. Just a little speck. Make a little speck of difference. That's all you got to do. Say, why? The Lord will do the rest. The Lord will do the rest. Amen. I mean, the day you got saved, somebody else led you to the Lord. Somebody else did the preaching. Somebody else showed you the verses. Your life wasn't changed very significantly, except for your destination and being regenerated. I understand the doctrinal issues, but you didn't quit all your sins that day. You got saved. You got born again. But from that day forward, preacher has a little effect. The Word of God 
has the effect it's supposed to have. The Holy Spirit has the effect it's supposed to have. And that's effective Christianity. But it needs to be on you first. You get the beams out. Then it's, you get the beams out of everybody else's eyes. Amen. You need to make big changes in your life in order to affect small changes in the lives of others. That's kind of, uh, sometimes it seems like it's unfair, but it's, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. You get the idea that you're God and you're going to change everybody, but that's not what your job is to do. Your job is to get the beam out of yours and the mode out of theirs. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now let's get 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and we'll close. We could keep on going, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Back where we started, let me give you just a few things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. I'd like to let you go right there, but I only got about three or four services left here, and I want to give you all I can, amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech, amen? He said, uh, or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now let me just give you these things that I got written down just for your benefit. Effective Christianity requires an underemphasis on yourself and an overemphasis on Christ. John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must decrease. People don't need your life story in order to get saved. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And you ought to say what God's done in your life. But that's, that's the extent of that, what God has done in my life. Hey, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We don't need a thorough digestive uh, exegesis on your entire life and what all you've done and how bad you was. We don't need all that. It's not the gospel of you. It's the gospel of Jesus. I understand you've done and what you can illustrate some things that God's delivered you from. That's no problem. But the story that Christians ought to be telling is not the story of self. It's not an excellent, well put together testimony about what all I've been through. It's an excellent, well-digested testimony that Jesus lived as God with man. He lived as a man. He died like a man on the cross. He died like a man for your sins. He was buried like a man, but he rose again because he's God Almighty in the flesh. And just, that's, a well, that's the gospel, and that's effective. Amen? And it's much more interesting than your life, I tell you that. Amen? It's an underemphasis on self. And again, Psalm 107, verse 2, uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm not taking away personal testimony, but that's not, again, let me emphasize, it's not Smithology. It's Christianity. And then verse 2, like he said, for I determined not to know anything among you, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We're trying to exalt Christ. We're trying to produce Christ esteem, not self-esteem. Church is not a self-help program. Although it will help you, it's not a self-help program. We're to get Christ esteem. See, if you put esteem in yourself, that's, that's what today's churches and what today's psychologists are trying to do. They're trying to build up self-esteem. The problem with that is eventually you're going to let yourself down, and eventually Christ never will. If you put your esteem in Him, you're not going to be let down. The Bible says, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. You're not going to be sorry that you put your trust in Him. But if you put yourself, your trust in you or in a friend, a relative, a loved one, they will let you down. You will let you down. Amen. Verse number three, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The best thing I can think about to illustrate that verse is, I am weak and he is strong. That's the little kid's song. It ought to be big kid's songs too. Amen. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Amen. We are weak and he is strong. Them little songs say a lot. You don't think they do, but they do. In verse 4, it's a demonstration of the power of God, not a demonstration of your abilities. I thank God. I was t- talking to Brother Nathan before the service. I said, I think God helps me more in Sunday school than he does at any other time. I, I really feel the leadership of the Lord more in Sunday school than I do in any other service. I'm not saying I don't feel the leadership of the Lord in other services, but I'm saying I feel like that God helps me teach better than he helps me preach. But this, I said all that not to glorify myself. I'm giving God the glory, see. I said, I didn't say I do better. I didn't say I teach better than I preach. That's not what I said. I said, I feel like the Lord helps me. The Lord helps me 
Amen. And that's what it ought to be. I'm weak and he's strong. And it's a demonstration whether you're preaching, whether you're teaching, whether you're preaching on the street, whether you're passing out tracts. And, and, and I, I'm all for passing out tracts, but passing out tracts can never replace opening your mouth and telling somebody else that Jesus died for their sins. Amen. Amen. It's a demonstration of the power of God, not a demonstration of your abilities. Amen. And in verse number 5, he says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Preach so that if you are found wanting, it doesn't destroy faith. Amen. In other words, if I exalt Christ, and if I uplift Christ, and then you find a fault in me, then your faith is not destroyed because I didn't build your faith up in me. I didn't put out what a great guy I was. I didn't put out how talented I was. I didn't put out what a leader I am. I didn't put out all of my merits. I put out the merits of Christ so that when I mess up, you say, well, that figures. That, when that preacher messes up, you say, well, that figures because me and that preacher just saved by the good grace of God. And though he's faulty and I'm faulty, we can ask forgiveness and then we can go shower out on Sunday morning. Unless the preacher preaches past 12, 15, then we're going to murmur and complain. But look what that got for Israel. Amen. And then you can throw in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and walk worthy. Amen. Walk worthy. If you're going to tell somebody about Christ, tell them well. Tell them to the best of your ability. But let God be the power. Let God teach you some things while you're doing that. Amen. Let me give you one more verse. Look in Philippians. No, I'm sorry. Philemon. The book of Philemon, that's uh, right before Hebrews, right after Titus, Philemon. And this is a very great thing. This is a very great verse right here. It looks like just an opening to a chapter, but it's a very great statement. Verse number four, let's read four, five, and six. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayer. So Paul's telling Philemon, he said, I thank God for you, and I'm praying for you. That, that could also be put into the sermon on effective Christianity. If you're thankful and you're praying, it's going to be effective. Amen. Murmuring, bickering, complaining, not so much. Thankfulness, praying for others, that's going to help you out. Verse, he said, this is why I'm praying for you. Verse 5. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. He said, man, I heard, Philemon, I heard you love Jesus. I heard you loved your brothers and sisters in Christ. When I heard about that, I started praying for you. And he's about to say, hey, I ran into one of your runaway slaves. Modern preachers are afraid to say that. But Paul says, I ran into one of your runaway slaves. And he said, I led him to the Lord. Now I send him back to you. Well, he wouldn't survive in this modern generation, would he? Paul, the pro-slavery. Paul wasn't pro-slavery, but he was pro-what was doing right. Paul was a slave himself. Wouldn't he? He sure was. Paul sent his slave back to this man here, Philemon, and he said, hey, you do what seems to you to be right, which was to make him a brother rather than a slave. But what I'm trying to get across to you is, he said, Paul, Paul said, I heard about you, Philemon, and he said, I've been praying for you, and I've been asking God to do some things for you, and verse 6 is what he's asking God to do for him. And this is the prayer I pray for you. This is the prayer you ought to pray for me. What's he saying? That the communication of thy faith may become effective. Have you ever told somebody about the Lord and thought maybe it didn't do no good? Have you ever preached? I've preached many a message. You ought to be with me on Monday. On Monday I'm scratching my head and second guessing myself. You say, why? Because I preached three times on Sunday. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Uh, The flesh is weak, folks. And after you preach to somebody on Sunday morning, it's the same as preaching to that wisecracker down there at work when he makes a big joke and walks off and you think it ain't done nothing. Well, that's what Paul's praying about. He's saying when, when you communicate your faith, he said that it'd be effective. Now, look and see what, if that ain't what it says. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual. He said, I want to, he said I'm praying that God will let, when you witness, that, that be effective. I'm praying that when you preach, it'll be effective. It'll have an effect on people. And he tells you the, I hate to say the secret to it, but he tells you the secret to it right there in the verse. That your faith, the communication of thy faith may become effectual 
by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You want to know how to have an effective witness? You want to know how to have effective Christianity? Start talking about the good things that are in you from the fact that you got saved. What am I talking about? The Bible says in Colossians 1.27, Christ is in you. Talk about Christ instead of you. Now that's right there in the verse. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 says the Holy Spirit's in you. Talk about the Holy Spirit once in a while. I know we like to talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Redskins and who's going to win the NBA championship and how many houses we built last week or how many rows of corn we got. We, know, we like to talk about that stuff, but the Bible says if your Christianity is going to be effective, you're supposed to talk about every good thing that is in you in Christ. Christ is in you. Is Christ good? The Holy Spirit's in you. Is the Holy Spirit good? Psalm 119 verse 11 said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Talk about the Bible. Brother Nathan, before church, he said, Let me ask you a question about this verse of Scripture in the book of Acts. And he, he said this, If you got time. Lord, what in the world do you mean if I got time? I got all the time in the world. You want to talk about the book of Acts, we'll pitch us a tent. Amen. We'll, we'll stay right here around the clock. I ain't got nowhere to be. Yeah. If I got somewhere to be, I'll call them and cancel it. Yeah. If, I'm, if I've got a previous engagement, unless it's the mortuary. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. If, it, if, the, if my pre, previous engagement's the mortuary, I reckon I can't hang out with you, Brother Tommy. Huh? But if I ain't got, if, if I got some other, if I got bingo night, or softball game, or go to the grocery store with my wife, and you want to talk about the Bible, I'll counsel them engagements. Yeah. Amen. You say, why? Because I, I got time. Yeah. Amen. You say, why? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He said, that I want your communication to be effective by the acknowledging. That means you've got to tell somebody. You've got to verbally acknowledge it. You've got to verbally, verbally verify that that thing is right and that it's in there. He said that your, the communication of thy faith become effective by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I'll talk about the Bible with you all the time. Preachers don't want to talk about the Bible this day and time. You go to a camp meeting. Hey, what's, the, what's God showed you in the Bible? Oh, you're being a silly, ridiculous. That's, that's the mentality this day and time. But hey, the word of God's the only good thing in me. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. Amen. So talk about those things. That's why you can't preach. That's why you preach the same sermon 900 times a year. People think you're a great preacher. Well, I'd be a great preacher too if I preached the same sermon 900 times in a year. You don't have to study the Bible. You don't have to pray. You just get up and preach the same sermon seven times a week. Oh, that's a great preacher. No, it's just well practiced. Amen. Amen. How come people ain't getting saved like they used to with all these great preachers running around? How come the skirts ain't getting longer? For those of you who are still awake, we'll start talking about some principles now. Amen. How how come people's lives ain't getting changed? Because your good preaching ain't effective Christianity. Amen. You say, where's the effectiveness come from? Fools. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Am I telling the truth? At least I I hope the preachers are getting this. Amen. Communication of thy faith. Making it known to others. Christ in you. Acknowledge him. Holy Spirit in you. Acknowledge him. The word of God in you. Acknowledge that. Verse number. uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Tells you God gave you some gifts. Amen. Acknowledge those. Amen. Word of knowledge. Well you know just hide me behind the cross. I ain't hiding behind the cross. God didn't call me to hide behind the cross. Amen. You say why? Well, listen, I want people to see what God done with me. You say why? God told me to acknowledge every good thing that's in me. Matter of fact, he went further than that. He said, let your light so shine before men. He didn't say hide behind the cross. He said, carry your cross. Amen. The light of the world, ain't it? He said, you're the light of the world, didn't he? Surely he did. Amen. The gifts that God gives you to do. If God made you smarter, show it. If God taught you some doctrines, show it. Amen. God let you quit smoking, show it. That's a pretty good gift. Amen. 
Luke chapter 17, verse 21, he says, the kingdom of God is within you. Talk about that. Let's talk about the kingdom of God. Well, I want to talk about New York City. No, let's not talk about New York City. Let's talk about the kingdom of God. Amen. You say, well, where's that kingdom at? It's in your heart. He said, it's in you. The, the, the Bible says in, in, Corinth, in Romans chapter 14, rather, verse 17, he said, the kingdom of God is. He's going to tell you what it is. It's not a city somewhere. It's not a literal, visible kingdom. He said, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. That's how we know we're supposed to acknowledge it. Paul said you'll have effect of Christianity by acknowledging every good thing that is in you. Well, Paul defines it in, in the book of Romans. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You don't know how good it would be for some of these wore out, frazzledy brain people that are living in this world together. People uh, today, and they're, they're on pills because they can't cope. They're on pills because they can't sleep. They're on pills because they can't wake up. They're a nervous wreck. They're depressed. They're grief-stricken. You don't know how good it would be if you would acknowledge to somebody and say, Boy, I tell you what, I used to be frazzled out too, but God has given me peace. I mean, when I thought about the things that I had done and how I'd let the Lord down, boy, I felt awful bad about that. But look, you know, the, the, the unrighteous can't inherit the kingdom of God. The effeminate and the drunkards and all these folks. He said, such were some of you, but now you're washed and now you're clean. He said, but hey, wait a minute. This big old list of sins, they can't inherit the kingdom of God. You can't get no joy because you're not living for Christ. That's why I go to church every week. I got news for you, honey. There's a little bit more involved with it than that. You might come to church, but your heart's somewhere else making a dollar. You might come to church, but your, your head's all bitter towards your wife. You might come to church, but your head's all bitter, your heart's all bitter towards your husband. That'll tear your Christianity up. You say, why? Because effective Christianity requires that you acknowledge the good thing that's in you. That Holy, that, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Jesus Christ himself, the gifts that God gives you, and the kingdom of God, righteousness. Let's talk about righteousness. Let's not talk about grace to commit sins. Let's not talk about what we can get away with. Let's talk about righteousness. Boy, I'm a sinner. Ain't you, brother? How could we do better? What good things could we do? I mean, what could I give up that would make me better? You hear people talking about that? No, you don't hear people talk. That's why Christianity is not effective anymore. Amen. Amen. You say, well, see, the problem is not Christi- Christianity itself hadn't lost its power. Christians have lost their power. They've, technically, they've ceased to be Christians. They're not unsaved, but they've ceased to be Christians. The best way I could, in the most timely way, if, if I've kept you a half hour too long, I'm sorry for it. I, I, I don't mean a bad thing in the world about it. I just want you to know this morning that it is possible that Christianity can work in this day and time in which we live. But there's only one way it's going to become effective, and that's God's way. You can't do it your way. You can't do it your way. Really, you can't have your own life anymore. Once you get saved, if you want to do something for God, you can no longer have your own life. Christianity is about his life. He said, I'm dead, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. That don't sound like doing your own thing, does it? Fulfilling your own will, providing your own pleasures. That stuff's out. We've got to please him now. You say, well, I'll not have it. Well, listen, if you're not have it, then that's between you and the Lord. I'm trying to get a hold of people this morning that want to do something for God. I didn't say do something for People's Baptist Church or do something for Brother Mike Easter or do something for Brother Nathan Irie or for Brother Spike Albright. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about are you ready? if you're here this morning you want to do something for Christ, this is the way that you do it for Christ. The message I've given you this morning is how you're going to make it. It's how you're going to produce fruit. Amen? Lord, we thank you this morning for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you, God.